Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly podcast about all things mental health. I'm Ellen and I'm Yvette and today we're talking to Jodie Day. She's the author of Living the Life Unexpected and she's also a speaker, a psychotherapist and the founder of Gateway Women. We're going to be chatting about infertility and World Childless Week. Well, I'm, I'm one of those, I'm born 1964, so my cohort, the 1960s cohort, we were one in four of us were reaching midlife without children. At the moment, it's one in five. And I was one of those. It certainly was not my plan. Um, although I, I didn't really want children in my 20s, but then in my 30s, I very much did with my then husband. But I was unable to conceive. I was one of those people um, and couples that struggled with unexplained infertility, which I have to tell you is a very unsatisfactory diagnosis. Um, so my marriage broke down under the stress of my infertility and in a way the craziness that engulfed our life. Um, my then husband um, struggled with um, mental health issues and addiction issues and the whole thing just imploded in my late 30s. So I found myself back out in the wild world and very new world back then of internet dating in my 40s as a single childless woman. And um, really I thought I still had time maybe to meet someone and I'll do air quotes for radio, uh, meet someone and do IVF. I had no idea that the chances of it working were incredibly slim. The fact is, once you hit your early 40s, getting pregnant via IVF, um, you know, 5% would be really good odds. And it's often a lot less than that. So I didn't meet the right person. And at 44, I kind of had to accept that my childlessness was not an inconvenient stop on the way to motherhood, but it was my permanent destination. And I fell into a pit of despair 
um, which I didn't realize was grief. I didn't find out that I was that not having a child when you really, really want one is a form of grief, which is called disenfranchised grief. It would have helped a lot if I'd known it was grief, but none of the therapists or psychologists or books or anyone that I saw during that period when I was looking for help named it as grief. Um, And many women still discover that what they're experiencing is grief is through my work. Can I ask you a little bit about the the diagnosis of unexplained infertility because I know you mentioned that's a really frustrating diagnosis and listening to it I was like that would drive me mad how did you start to cope with the idea that there isn't an explanation you don't have an answer of why this is happening well a diagnosis of unexplained infertility is is actually very common Um, my then husband and I didn't actually get to the point of doing fertility treatments. We were really just at that point when things imploded. Um, but for those people who, who do and, um, don't manage to conceive, um, through IVF, it's often, um, about 30% of those get a diagnosis of unexplained infertility. Because I think what we have to understand is that sort of IVF is, it's kind of frontier science, it's it's developing all the time. There's a lot that we don't yet understand about uh, about how and why people do and don't get pregnant. So it's not that unusual, and it it is incredibly frustrating. But interestingly, at the time when I was trying to conceive, I never even used the word infertile about myself. So it wasn't until you know much later when I was unpacking my childlessness that I I realized. So I never sought out infertility forums. I never saw any support because I was absolutely unshakably convinced that, you know, that I would get pregnant at some point. I had been pregnant at 20 um, and had had uh, an abortion. I was terrified at that time of my life of becoming a young mum. I come from, you know, a long line of fairly unmothered, unhappy mothers who had their children young and unplanned. And it was drummed into me as a kid, you know, not to have children as a young woman because it would ruin my life. And uh, that's kind of a quote. And I heard that a lot from school teachers as well as within my family. So I was really scared that I would mother as I had been mothered and also that it was going to ruin my life. So I had an abortion at 20, which I, I don't regret. It was the right thing for me at the time. I didn't know I would ever, I would never conceive again. And I did have an operation when I was 33 to double check that absolutely everything was fine, that there was no damage to my uterus from the abortion. And the very avuncular um, gynecologist afterwards said, finest uterus I've seen all week. You lovely young people just go off and have lots more sex. That was it. So, <laughs> so you know, given a clean bill of health, both of us were, all our hormones checked out. And, um, you know, after, I think it really hit me actually after my then husband and I had, had been split up for a while and he accidentally um, uh, got someone pregnant. And um, it, either, I don't know whether it didn't make it or if they chose an abortion. The details aren't mine to know, but um, the that really hit me like a truck because that's when I could no longer really be in denial about the fact that it really had been my issue all along and it had never been worked out what it was. What prompted you to turn um, this issue from a personal one to a public one? Because like I said, you've you've written a book about it. You've spoken about it. You've been sort of a real inspiration to a lot of people about this. Um, but I think for a lot of people, they kind of keep this private. So why did you want to start speaking out about it? I was trying so hard to talk to people about it. 
to family, to friends. Nobody would listen. I would just be met with what we call bingos. At the time, you know, I was in my early 40s. It was, oh, you're st- you've still got time. You're so young. Uh, another one, why don't you have one on your own? Um, why, you know, and of course, why don't you just adopt? And then, of course, children aren't all that cracked up to be you, Mr. Bullet there. Here, have one of mine. Oh, you're so lucky you get to sleep in and travel. You know, all of these things. And actually, I was trying to have a conversation not anymore about hoping to have a baby because I was open to all of those things then. But when pe- when I was no lo- when I knew I definitely wasn't going to be having a child and I tried to talk about it, what I noticed is that nobody would let me talk about it. All they would do would be bombard me with these bingos, really to try and change the subject because you can't really say much back to them. And the extraordinary thing is, and I, I, I talk about them in my TED talk, The Lost Tribe of Childless Women, because they're kind of universal across cultures and classes. You know, you can hear these from someone you've never met at the bus stop or um, or perhaps in slightly more nuanced language, but with the same message from a therapist. You know, these are kind of universal statements that just shut down the conversation and leave you in a place of shame, particularly the why didn't you just adopt or why don't you just adopt, which is an extraordinary thing to say as number one, as if it's anyone else's business, but also, you know, as if this is just a sort of plug and play option when it absolutely is an extremely complex decision for the child involved, for all of the people involved. And also as a as a single middle-aged childless woman uh, working freelance with no savings and no home of my own, I, I wouldn't have even got on the list to be considered. But it's interesting people throw this out as if this incredibly easy option. And when you and if you say actually it's not quite for me or oh, so you didn't really want children then. It's like, wow. (laughs) So I started writing out of desperation because I needed to take it somewhere. So I took it to this new blog I'd just started called Gateway Women. I got my first piece of PR the day after the first blog was published. And then women from all over the world were leaving comments in the blog. And just a note out there for, uh, for, you know, younger women, um, blogs used to be a really big deal <laughs> before, you know, before Instagram and those things. That's where all the conversations were happening in the comments on blogs. And then I, about six weeks later, I gave my first talk because the women on my blog were saying, you seem to really understand this and be able to talk about this in a way that we're, we're, we're not seeing this anywhere else. Um, and so I gave a talk at a small women's networking group and there was a journalist in the audience um, called Helen Carroll, who then interviewed me for an article which came out in The Guardian about six months later, which went viral and is actually still being read today. And that was very much about how how my childlessness had impacted also my friendship group, how I didn't fit in my life anymore now that I was the only one without children. I mean, there were a couple of women in my friendship group who were child-free by choice, and actually, I found them very difficult at the time as well, because I I still carried a lot of preju- internalized pronatalist prejudice against child free people, thinking that, you know, people might think I'm one of those, I'm one of those weird women who didn't want children. I absolutely don't think like that anymore. I realize that that's conditioning and it's gone from my consciousness now. But at the time, it was really difficult. I, I didn't fit in anywhere anymore. So my blog became 
my lifeline. And then, you know, when you've had these thoughts and feelings for a long time that nobody will let you talk about and you write about them on a blog and women from you've never met say, I thought I was the only person thinking these things. You are using the exact words that are in my head. How is that possible? And it just struck a seam. I think perhaps one of the reasons I was able to be open in a way that, um, you know, I wasn't ashamed of my childlessness. This did make me quite unusual because a lot of childless women carry a lot of shame about their childlessness. I think this is partly because in the aftermath of my marriage, I spent a lot of time in 12-step groups. Um, the one that's most commonly known is Alcoholics Anonymous. But I was in a group called Al-Anon, which is for friends and family of alcoholics and addicts. And I was in huge rooms in London with, you know, 50, 100 people talking about the most incredibly private things that were going on in their lives with their partners, their children, family members. And I really kind of learned that I I had nothing to be ashamed of. You know, the way my, everyone has stories in their lives of things that haven't worked out. Um, and it doesn't make them wrong. It just makes them human. And I think the time I spent in the rooms really helped me not to be ashamed of my life. And then when it came to writing my blog, I used my real name. I had a photograph of myself on it. And I told the truth about what it was like to be a single, childless, middle-aged woman in um, in 2011 onwards. And it all started there. How can people struggling with infertility and being childless deal with that shame? Because I think you're right. It's such a overwhelming thing that's still persisting, even though I think attitudes have changed so much. How do we start to unlearn that? I think the, the most powerful way to do it is to be with other women who are struggling with the same issue. Because, for example, um, I created a, a weekend workshop, which is called the Reignite Weekend, which really, which is really like a transformational weekend workshop for childless women. And when they come into the room, you know, they, it, it, I mean, it takes so much courage to book to come on that weekend. And when they come into the room on the Saturday morning, you know, they've got their heads down. Um, it, you know, it starts very, very, you know, very, very safe. They don't have to share anything more than their first name. You know, I make it very, very safe, the container. And then over the course of that first morning, as they start to share their stories, you just see their faces change as they realize that this woman that's sitting in the circle with them is telling a story which is different to theirs, but which has same elements of theirs. There's always threads of similarity in the stories. And then you start to realize how amazing she is, how resilient she is, how courageous she is, how much she's been through. And then you hear another story and another. And after a while, you think, well, hang on a minute. I'm seeing myself as someone who is a uniquely personal human failure that is ashamed of how her life has shown up. But I'm hearing all these other stories and I don't think that about them. So why am I thinking that about myself? And by morning break, literally on the first day of the workshop, people are, you know, they're lifting their heads up. There's the beginning of laughter and connection. And they realize that the story that they're telling themselves about their childlessness is just a story. It's not true, you know, and the pain is real. The grief is real. The heartbreak is real. The difficulties of the childless life are real, but the shame that is cultural shame. And I say, you know, we were born childless and worthy. 
our childlessness does not take away our worthiness. But that is not the message we get from the culture. Just before we go on to talking a bit more about um, the other sort of support that's available for people and also World Childless Week, um, I was wondering if you could um, tell us a bit more about some of the mental health struggles that can affect people who are childless. I've said that the wrong way around, to be honest. Um, I suppose what, what I'm asking is how can childlessness affect people's mental health? Mm. Mental health and childlessness is is a tricky one to untangle. Um, one of the, I think one of the, the the things that really surprises and reassures people when, for example, they become part of, you know, our online community, you know, we've got nearly a thousand members from all around the world, is how unique each of our stories is. Um, but there, you know, there, there can be a thread of, you know, not necessarily mental illness, but, you know, mental health issues to do with social isolation, to do with shame, as we've just talked about, PTSD. I mean, something that is is not known is that 50%, 5-0% of women who have had fertility treatments have a form of PTSD afterwards. And that is higher than combat veterans. And that is a peer-reviewed study. It's mentioned in my book. It is an incredibly invasive and damaging process to um, to a woman's sense of the boundaries of her own body. Um, and it does a huge amount of causes a huge amount of disruption also within um, within relationships, whether they be, you know, heterosexual or not heterosexual. This sense of the body as a place of pleasure can be utterly wrecked by fertility treatments. So we can have PTSD, um, sexual and fertility trauma coming in, shame, um, loneliness, you know, intense loneliness and social isolation, particularly for those who are unpartnered as well as childless. And let's not forget the damage that the grief that childless people experience, which is called disenfranchised grief. Disenfranchised grief is called disenfranchised because it is not socially acceptable. You're not allowed to experience it. You're not allowed to talk about it. Most childless people, if they've tried to talk to someone about their grief, will be met with, well, you can't be grieving. You haven't actually lost anything. But in actual fact, you've lost your entire future trajectory that you had planned out. Your whole life has, you know, has gone. It is an enormous loss. It's not just not having a baby. It's not being part of the socially validated identity track for women in our society. So, you know, no, no first day at school photos, no, no children at school issues, no perhaps them going off to college, no perhaps them getting married and having children of their own or partnering up and having children of their own, no, um, you know, not becoming a grandmother. So every sort of milestone, acceptable social milestone of, of women's lives is based around partnership and parenthood. You don't get, and, and for many women, particularly if they're also unpartnered, they don't really get any of them. So their lives are unwitnessed. And this can be, you know, this can create, you know, depression, anxiety, social isolation, problems within families. Um, yeah, it's, I don't think anyone's actually done any research on this um, because childlessness, even though it is an issue impacting millions and millions of people, the subject itself is disenfranchised. You know, the, the academic establishment and the medical establishment are not interested in childlessness and neither is the government. So it's, you know, when you consider how many um, are already aging without children 
and how many more will be aging without children in the future, we're still hearing that, you know, families must do more for kind of older and vulnerable members. Well, many of us won't have families to do more for us when we when we are vulnerable and we need support. I think it can be particularly hard as well for people to talk about social infertility um, because there's when you're sort of saying earlier on about the sort of bingo replies, I think there's the assumption that you've sort of made the choice to not have children. I mean, the largest number of the sort of the largest amount of, of reasons, if you know what I mean, and they're very, very complex for not having children when you wanted them is being childless by circumstance. And within that, those circumstances, I mean, there's a list in my book, it's in chapter one, and it's called 50 ways not to be a mother. Um, and quite frankly, I could make it 100 these days, but I had to stop somewhere. And I've included a lot of them and not having a willing or suitable partner during your potentially fertile years is a massive one. And I would say it's growing. Um, I mean, UN data shows that um, the number of women in the UK, um, unmarried, and, and and not in a union, as they describe it, so um, is massive. It's it's thirty five percent. It's gone up from nine percent since the nineteen seventies. That's that's during those crucial potentially fertile years. So there are a great many women who are single, uh, some of them by choice, many of them not by choice, who would like to have children, um, and you know, the option of freezing your eggs is not available for everyone. It's also, you know, it's also a bit of a Russian roulette way to preserve your fertility. You know, the outcomes from, you know, from IVF, from from frozen eggs is still quite poor. And the fact is the outcome of IVF is poor. So, you know, you freeze your eggs and this means at a later date you have to, you know, you have to do IVF, which is, as I said before, frontier science. So it's, you know, the options for, Let's say someone in her mid thirties who who is unpartnered or a long term relationship has come to an end, and you know are really really tough, and society just kind of tells her to get on with it, um, as if you know just just get pregnant by the nearest opportunity. It's it's extraordinarily brutal the things that that are are said to women you know in their mid to late thirties to early forties if they're single and childless, and that's not the plan. There's a real sense of um, kind of if you haven't done it, you're failing and that's either your body has failed you or you're just not trying hard enough. I think it's really difficult to, you know, be trying very, very hard and not I don't I feel like achieving is the wrong word, but not having the kind of success in that realm. I don't know how you start to continue and how you push back against that because it is just overwhelming the messaging that you're doing something wrong the social narrative around this and the way it's by the way it's always placed in the women's shoes you know <laughs> it's like um hello since when did uh, reproduction become a one-person job um you know we're not talking enough about why it might be difficult to find a partner you know, why, you know, there are many more women, you know, coming out of higher education um, and are looking to partner with someone of a an equal or higher uh, educational or socioeconomic standard. This is the way uh, human mating works. Um, but there is, you know, there are kind of, you know, if you're in a heter looking for a heterosexual partner, there are going to be less of those around as you move through your late, you know, through your late twenties into your early thirties. So the kind of the appropriate mating and mating pool is shrinking. 
Um, and also, you know, men are unfortunately completely unaware, mostly, as far as I know, that their fertility declines too. You know, uh, fertility clinics will not accept donor sperm from a man older than 35 because after that, the chromosomal abnormalities start to build up in the sperm. And this is why, unfortunately, a lot of um, heterosexual couples have to, you know, have some difficulty um, conceiving, you know, as they're both, let's say they're both in their early 40s, they might be able to conceive, but there are, you know, massive increase in miscarriages at this point because of the age of both the sperm and the eggs. Now, one of the ways a man can get round that, not forever, is to be with a much younger partner. So chromosomal abnormalities balance out. But, you know, there are outliers of all forms of of fertility. You know, there are there's a very there are very rare women who who get pregnant at 45, 46 naturally. They are the reason we see them in the news, the reason these are miracle baby stories is because they are exceptionally rare. We cannot base our, you know, our decisions. And unfortunately, most of us, myself included, got my fertility information from the media. All I learned about school was how not to, you know, to make sure how not to get pregnant. I didn't know anything about aging eggs and things like that. I know that for, for women younger than me, I know that for the sort of the millennials and coming up beside you are bombarded with warnings about, you know, your fertility declining, um, which is extremely alarming because as you said before, then there's this onus placed on women to get their shit together and get it all done as if it was just something to put on the to-do list, you know, find a partner and get pregnant. Um, well, maybe those partners are not really wanting to have a family till their mid forties. Well, if you're with someone who's the same age as you, or that's the age group you're looking to partner with, you know, that's going to be difficult. Um, and there's, so then it's like, why don't you have a baby on your own? This is an extraordinary thing to say as well. It's like, since when did sort of a two parent family become this optional extra that I'm sort of selfish for wanting? You know, it is it's a big, big deal to be a single parent. I mean, looking back over my life, I was born in 1964 to a teenage Catholic mum. And it was brought great shame on her family that she wasn't married. I wasn't planned. And at that time, sort of, you know, the headlines in, you know, something like the Daily Mail would be unwed mothers, you know, that they are ruining society, that, you know, this shocking thing, this the rise in women having children out of wedlock. You know, you fast forward 50 years, and now the most shamed female stereotype is a single childless woman in her forties that she's failed. You know, it doesn't matter how you have a baby. You just have to have one or really you just have failed. And it is quite extraordinary. It just shows what a huge shift there's been in our society over the last 50 years. You know, now it's, it's about having the baby, not necessarily about being partnered at the same time. Um, I'm really sorry because I'd really love to chat about this for, hours and hours more and I feel like we've got so much still to cover but um could you finish up by telling us about World Childless Week um what that's about and how and how people can take part thank you World Childless Week is in its sixth year this year I'm very proud to be a World Childless Week ambassador I have been since the beginning it was started in the UK um, by a British woman Stephanie Joy Phillips and it's in its sixth year, and we have a program of free webinars for the whole week, um, which are, are free to join, um, from everything from actually the single and childless experience. Um, I'm running one on, there's a, a themed day called Letters to Our Younger Self, and I'm running a webinar with a group of um, older childless women, I call we call the Nomo Crones, 
Um, so we are a, a group of um, childless women in our sort of 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s. Um, so we'll be sharing our letters to our younger selves. There's one of the themed days is childlessness in the workplace, which is a massive issue that is um, really, really needs addressing in our society because childless and child-free people are disadvantaged in the workplace, strangely enough, by the support that is overtly given um, to parents in the workplace, which often comes at the cost of their childless and child-free colleagues. So World Childless Week is, you go worldchildlessweek.net, um, click on events and you can sign up to any of the free webinars. And we're also, all of us who are ambassadors are giving interviews during that week. We have, um, the ambassadors are from right around the world, men and women. Um, childless men often get left out of the uh, the conversation about childlessness. And I would like to say that also that um, the mainstream conversation about childlessness is also tends to be very, very heteronormative and very white and very middle class. So we try our best at World Childless Week to, to really be more inclusive than that. So this is goodbye from mentally If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116123. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and subscribe to our channel and perhaps even go back and listen to some old episodes. We have many of them. Also, you can get in contact with us. We have a lovely Facebook group, which is called Mentally Yours. And we're also on Twitter at MentallyYRS. See you next week. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.